Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Christy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, June 11th. Today we are reading from the big book. We are at page 26, third full paragraph starting with He Begged the Doctor. Today's readers are Sally, Paula, Marsha, and Hoodie. The reference number for Monday, June 10th, is 4614. And again, that's 4614. The OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Meg to read the 12 steps, please. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Meg O. from Vermont, and I am a very grateful recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and, when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 
12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks, and I pass. Thank you, Meg. I will now ask Anne S. to read the 12 traditions, please. Uh, hi, good morning. My name is Anne S. from Pennsylvania, compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Uh, Thank you, I pass. Thank you, Anne. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're on page 26. We are in the third full paragraph on that page beginning with, He Begged the Doctor. And I will ask Sally to begin reading, please. Good morning. He begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He could never regain his position in society, and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard 
if he expected to live long. That was a great physician's opinion. I'm Sally, a recovering food addict, actually a recovered food addict, a new word to my vocabulary in South Jersey. And we're taking up the story where we left off yesterday, the story of Roland Hazard, this uh, American businessman. And uh, at the bottom here, just before this paragraph that I read, we see that question, the big question with a big word, why? Why was this? He asked the question leading to this paragraph. Why? Why am I here again? This word, this why, this why question is a very harsh question. It has so much judgment, self-judgment uh, injected into it. And then he, at, he goes on to say he begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth and he got it. And really, he didn't really get the truth because the doctor's judgment, in the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. But we're not hopeless because we do have an allergy of the body and we do have a compulsion of the mind. But there is a solution, as we can see here in this chapter. There is a solution. We do know there's a solution. But in this particular doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. And so that was his version of the truth. He could never regain his position in society. And without this solution, none of us could really regain a position of any sort in society. And he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard. It reminds me of... Uh, that old movie with Jack Nicholson where he's a werewolf and he finds out he's a werewolf and he locks himself, he chains himself with a chain to a uh, radiator. And uh, that really is honestly how I felt um, because um, around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I felt like a werewolf, like I would literally howl because my food would unravel. And that's the way this guy is describing it that he, would have, he could never regain his position in society and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. That was the outcome that we had without the solution and that was a great physician's opinion. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sally. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Nancy. I'm sorry, was that Marcy? Nancy. Oh, Nancy, thank you. Nancy, go ahead. Thank you. I'm Nancy, compulsive reader from Colorado. Um, my dilemma was night eating, and about eight years ago when I had reached bottom, I said this to my husband, and I was very serious. Dear, could we put a lock on the bedroom door? And then every night when we go to bed, you know, we'll lock it and then you take the key and hide it. And um, he looked at me and he did not say a word and we never did put a lock on the door. He didn't understand how desperate I was, I think. But because of God, the 12 steps in the fellowship, I am able now to have total freedom from getting up in the middle of the night. And I have done that for decades. So I have my dinner at 6, I have my breakfast at 6 a.m., and those 13, 12 or 13 hours in between, I have total peace. 
And I am so grateful that we did not have to put that lock on because I would have broken it, you know. <laughs> Anything to get to the food back then, I would have I would have found a way. I would have taken food up under, you know, my robe or whatever. But thank God I am free from that compulsive behavior today, one day at a time. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Ken. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim J, and I am a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. He begged, he begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. And in this doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. Utterly hopeless. You know, he went to the Dr. Phil of his error. He went to the most, one of the most prominent doctors, not in America. This was the Great Depression this was happening. The Great Depression. People could afford... Food. They were going into soup lines, and his family was able to afford him to go to one of the top three prominent hospitals and send him to Switzerland to live with him for a year, not to go there and get a consultation, not to go there and get some tips about how not to stop drinking. He lived with the guy for an entire year, and he couldn't even make it home without getting drunk. So he's begging him for the whole truth, and he's telling them, "You're utterly hopeless. I have exhausted." All the things that I know as a doctor. I have studied with Sigmund Freud. I have studied with the prominent doctor of our era, and I cannot help you. And he begs him to tell the whole truth. In this point, there is no solution. There, lock yourself up. You're, you're going to have to have a bodyguard. There is nothing I can do for you. But now we have a solution. Today, we have a 12-step program. Today, we have clear-cut directions about how you can recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. But the beginning point of this is you have to know you have this disease. And that is something I think in Liberty Anonymous we need to work on. We need to work on educating people on what a compulsive overeater is. I say this all the time, but for years at home, I raised my hand saying, I am a compulsive overeater. And what I meant was, I'm fat and I don't want to be fat anymore. Teach me how not to be fat. But we have a, a deadly, deadly disease. It is an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And that is what, I mean, we read today in the um, Traditions. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. And a large part of that message is, what is the problem? Are our meetings carrying that? Or are we just saying, keep coming back, it works till you work it? Are we just saying, don't leave before the miracle happens, but we're not telling them how to get that miracle. We're not telling them the work that's involved. We're not telling them that freedom isn't free. How do we carry this message? We've got to let people know you are utterly hopeless. If you have this allergy of the body, if you have this obsession of the mind, you are beyond human aid. That is the truth. That is the reality. You know, last night, I'm going to go to page 94. Last night, I was reading with the sponsee about how to carry this message. And it tells you in working with others, talk about the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem. And when they ask for a solution, then tell them about it. But until they know they need a solution, don't tell them about the solution. So it says here, after you've told them about the medical business, after you've told them about the allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, this is the bottom of the first paragraph on 94, maybe you have disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. 
This is all for the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He will be more likely to follow your suggestion. And that is why in this chapter, even in the chapter there is a solution, we are pounding the problem, the problem, the problem. Because until you understand what a compulsive overeater is, and until you understand that you have this disease, the solution means nothing. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? You'll need to press star one to unmute your phone. This is Eileen from Massachusetts. Eileen, go ahead. Thanks, Christy. Um, this is so true for me, what Kim was just sharing. Um, the more hopeless you have to feel, um, because for a long time, um, I was trying to get this program, and I could never get it. I just wasn't willing to surrender. I mean, that that's how much of a hold the sugar and flour had over me. I was being strangulated by the food. I could not stop. And I remember when I came back in 2004, I was. I, I You know, I, I just opened my hands. I'm like, God, I can't do it anymore by myself. And it's so true when you feel so hopeless about your situation and you can get any any sort of uh, psychotherapist opinion. Uh, you, can, you can go to how many diet clubs it takes um, and, and have someone tell you that they can't help you. Um, but I knew that the doors of our way were always open to me. Um, because it was something here that I heard. People really understood me. And uh, that's why this this fellowship, this program worked. That's it for now. Pass. Thank you, Eileen. Anyone else on this paragraph? Good morning, Eileen. This please. is Al. Uh, Leah, and then, I'm sorry, was it L? Alice. Oh, Alice, thank you so much. Leah, why don't you go ahead and then Alice. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, it says here, in the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He could never regain his position in society, and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. That was a great physician's opinion. I mean, obviously, we're dealing here with Dr. Carl Jung, who is, you know, one of the world's most prominent uh, psychiatrists at the time. And even the great men of science, even the great men of medicine stood powerless before the alcoholic obsession. I mean, there was nothing uh, that anyone could find at the time to conquer the obsession of the mind. Uh, they stood powerless, you know, so Dr. Jung is admitting his limitations. As brilliant of a man as he is and as world-renowned as he was at the time, uh, alcoholics, you know, were locked up. They were locked up, and they were locked up until their dying day. 
unless they took their life by their own hand. I mean, there was no way out. You know, we are very uh, acquaint, well acquainted, you know, today with alcoholism. We have been for decades, but at this time period, um, you know, they did not know what to do with these people. They did not know what to do with alcoholics at that time. So Dr. Carl Jung is admitting that, you know, we don't know. You're an alcoholic, and I've never known anyone to be cured of that disease. You know, <laughs> that's it. That That's what they thought, you know. And uh, that's why it's so important here. It says in the doctor's judgment he was utterly hopeless. You know, Roland Hazard went back, uh, and, you know, he eventually joined the Oxford groups, and shortly thereafter he made what we would refer to as a 12-step call on a guy named Evie. And shortly thereafter, uh, he made what we would refer to as a 12-step call on a guy named Bill W. <laughs> Thank you, God. But that's why the big book in the, in the forward to the first edition says as follows, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. It seemed hopeless. Seemed hopeless. But the message that recovered compulsive overeaters carry is there is a way out. It just seems hopeless at the time. It seems like there's no way out for you, you know, but there is a way out. It's not going to be through intellect as great as this Carl Jung was. It was not going to be through understanding the inner workings of our mind. It's not going to be through any motivation that we may Summon up, it might not, it's not going to be through uh, self knowledge. It's not even going to be through human aid, even though people may love and care for you and reach out their hands to you. The real recovery has got to come from a power greater than ourselves. We have to tap into that inner suspected, unsuspected resource that's inside each and every one of us. And it is possible. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered. And that wording, uh, precisely how we have recovered, is all in italics, is the main purpose of this book, and that's exactly why we study these pages. I don't tell you what's going on in my life. That's not important on this line. What's important on this line is to teach the program of recovery. To teach the program of recovery to a fellowship that unfortunately has been lacking that element since 1960 when it was born. So, you know, thank God there is a way out and we are here to share that. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Alice, go ahead. Alice, can you press star one to unmute your phone? Oh, I'm sorry. This is Alice. That's okay. Yeah, go ahead. Alice, compulsive overeater from Florida. And um, I so identified with yesterday's reading, and I wanted to share, but I was just, um, I couldn't open my mouth. And today, um, you know, the same thing. I wish, I really wish there was some human power that could that could work for me. And I have tried, I've tried them all. You know, like this guy, I have gone to what I thought would best the best 12-step treatment centers five times, um, you know, just surrounding myself with amazing people and strong recovery and um, do have a padlock on a cabinet in my kitchen and just 
you know, at one time a therapist told me, um, why don't you consider hiring a sober companion? And I, I would have done it if I could have figured out how to explain this strange person living in my house um, to my 10-year-old daughter. And I just, there was nothing I was told. I was told I was hopeless by one person, a professional, and um, and I believed it. I believed it. And she said, your pride is going to kill you. And I didn't know what that meant. So I, you know, I, I just kept searching, kept searching for something. If I pay enough money, if I go to the top people, um, if I put myself in treatment one more time, that's going to work. And I learned that there is no treatment center, no therapist, no other recovered person, nothing that's going to keep me abstinent. I couldn't stay abstinent in treatment. I never did in five treatment centers. I could not stay abstinent while in treatment. And I used to think, holy crap, I am in some serious trouble. But my ego was so strong and my pride, and it still is. It's like I'm still going to try, damn it. I'm going to find a way that works so I don't have to do all this other hard work. You know, I don't want to do all these things. <clears throat> and I don't think they're going to work for me, you know, because I'm, I'm so superior to everybody else, you know. Meanwhile, I've got my you know, head hanging over a toilet, you know. I couldn't, couldn't, not, couldn't stop binging and therefore couldn't stop puking. And, I, you know, I've, I, I have a couple months of real solid abstinence right now. And I, I, that thinking is not cleared out of my mind. I still, I, you know, I, I still think, ah, you know, it's, if it's a certain sponsor, if it's a certain, you know, it's just always, searching it's like you know give up Alice give up you know really give up but you know I'm glad that until that thinking clears I'm I'm willing to stay abstinent you know and and work these steps and follow instructions and I just I just so identify with this this uh guy you know just hopeless and when someone tells you that and they don't tell you um you know that I mean nothing follows that and you're sitting in a treatment center it's um pretty crappy but um a lot of that was my doing, too, because I was never the model patient. I was always, uh, you know, defiant and knew more than them and was, you know, such craziness. But um, I'm, you know, I just, I, uh, I'm with this guy right now. You know, I get it. And, um, and I know, and, you know, I also know that no padlock is going to keep me abstinent. But right now it's, it's um, to make it less of a convenience for my disease to pop in. You know, we've, I have a locked cabinet in my kitchen, and I'm grateful for that. Um, and I'm going to um, pass there and, and listen to the rest. Thanks. Thank you, Alice. Well, I'm Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'll jump in here for just a minute. Um, you know, I mean, it's bad enough that um, I was already under lock and key for the most part, at least in my mind, you know, certainly a prisoner. And I remember um, this brilliant idea I had at one point, and thank goodness it was a, an idea I had in passing that, you know, I remember thinking, I wonder what kind of crime I could get away with that wouldn't be too horrible, you know, certainly something that wouldn't maybe harm another person, but something that would maybe send me to prison for a period of time so that I could be locked up in a cell and I, you know, get the three hots and a cot kind of thing, um, and that way someone else would be in control of my food. And, uh, and then I wouldn't have to worry about it. I wouldn't have to think about it. And, um, you know, watching television shows or seeing movies about prisoners 
What I know is that you can pretty much get anything you want, you know, including illegal substances in prison. Um, so I knew that wouldn't work for me. You know, that was one of my ideas. I mean, again, just in passing, what would be something I could do to stop eating compulsively? You know, and, and I mean, think about that. You know, that was an idea that I came up with for myself. That was, that was one of the best thoughts I'd had about how to stop eating compulsively. You know, maybe being locked up in an actual prison and really having all of my freedom taken away. Like, it wasn't bad enough that all of my freedom was taken away living in the imprisonment of compulsive overeating. Um, you know, I mean, that's how completely hopeless I was. And the other thing that jumps out at me here is that, you know, he's asking the doctor to tell him that he's hopeless, um, essentially. You know, tell me, really, what do you see, doctor? And the doctor says, you know, you're not just hopeless, but utterly hopeless. And I know for me, uh, the recovery didn't start until I admitted I was hopeless, until I admitted I was hopeless. And, um, you know, went to a place, a meeting, you know, found one person, somebody, anyone, you know, there are lots of people on this line here who identify as recovered. I mean, what a gold mine. What a gold mine of recovery we have here on this meeting for one hour, you know, Monday through Friday, bright and early in the morning. I mean, that's nothing short of a miracle. I just needed one person. I just needed someone in whom the problem had been solved, to show me the way out. Show me the way out. You know, turn the light on. It's dark in here, and it's horrible in here, and I'm tired of it. That's the place I needed to get to in my mind. I am hopeless. Don't, I don't need a thousand people to tell me I'm hopeless. I need just one, and that's me. I am desperate. I'm hopeless. I cannot think my way out of this. I can't, you know, I've tried every trick in the book and nothing is working for me. Why don't you help me if you would be so kind? And that's all it took for me. I just needed one person to guide me out of the misery, pain, despair, and hopelessness I was in and show me how to work the steps, how to live the principles of the program. You know, first let's put the food down so you're cleared of the fog and, um, and then let's dig in and work these steps until that disease isn't chasing you so closely and do what we can to keep the food, you know, to help you, Christy, grow away from wanting to eat compulsively. Because until then, I didn't want anyone to get in the way of my food. And I'm just grateful that I got to that place before I, uh, before I died, you know, before my life ended. I'm just grateful that I finally got to that place. And with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who'd like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Hi, this is Julie. I'd like to share. Sure, Julie, go ahead. Hi, this is Julie, a recovered compulsive overeater. And, um, you know, I can just see how I, I, I would think before. Uh, I, we, too, had a cupboard that we locked for me so I wouldn't get into the, you know, the, the foods that <clears throat> were already setting up the obsession but would definitely take me over with the cravings, and I, I couldn't stop. And, you know, my family did that thinking it would help me, but I would I would break into the cupboard, eat the food, restock it. I mean, and to me that never, I never seemed to think that that was insane, right? This is just something I do. And I can remember going back to the doctors, you know, getting more shots, getting more pills, 
um, my best friend and I went and did hypnosis because we figured, well, that must be it. Um, and, and, and it worked. And, um, you know, I thought that I was um, hopeless, just like if Dr. Young had said that to me because I never could stay stopped. And um, I even had my doctor tell me, you know, Julie, I can't do anything for you. It has to come from you. And um, you need to go find something that is stronger. And um, I applaud him because he didn't tell me it was self-will and and things like that. And when I had this last um, relapse and I went back to him and I told him I wanted to have surgery, and he looked at me and he said, no. He goes, because you've done it before, you know what the problem is. You need to go back to program. And um, I thank him for that because I was just trying, for me, I, I applaud people who have the surgery. There's nothing wrong with that. But I had been in OA. I had heard a little bit of what the um, solution was. Not the full one, but now now that I understand it, but I am free. I, I cook for my kids. I, I can go places. I don't have to have food locked up. Um, and it's it's funny because we lock them up for my teenagers when they come over because they eat everything, but I know where the key is. How exciting is that? You know, somebody that nobody could even trust with a bowl of whatever. I now have the key. Um, and it kind of cracked me up when I read that. Um, I am free. I can go anywhere where... Julie, I think you may have gotten cut off. Can you press star one again, please? I don't know where I stopped, but anyway. Um, can you hear me now? Yes. Yep. Go ahead, Julie. I'll just repeat one small thing, is that I have the key where the food is locked for all the teenagers that come over because, you know, it's not because they have an eating problem. It's just that there's 12 kids that come over and eat everything. The, the funny thing is, is this person who couldn't be trustworthy around food time after time, time after time, I have the key for that cupboard. And it's like, it means nothing to me because there's no power behind that anymore. So, you know, I'm totally, um, you know, I, I've been recovered based on what I do every day, being of service. So anyway, I just um, totally can relate to that paragraph where I used to be not where I am now. So thank you for being there. Thank you, Julie. Paula, will you please read that next paragraph? This is Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. You know, this is a beautiful paragraph that I'm about to read, but I will say the one before precedes it, and this is the way of it. But this man still lives and is a free man, He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men go without disaster, provided he remain willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. And I'll go back to that, but this man still lives and is a free man. To be free is to to one of the meanings of being free is to disentangle. See, you could, I couldn't separate. 
I could not separate my disease from who I was. It was all tangled with it. It was in my thoughts. It was in my physical body, of course, doing its damage, doing its damage, a body badly damaged. But more so was the mind. More so, this I couldn't, I couldn't separate the strands. Did you ever, for those that knit, may I say I am not one, but I've watched them and they're trying to separate the colors and I'm going, oh boy, have they got a job, yeah. Quite a job. This disentangle, I couldn't do it on my own. God knows I tried. Doesn't it say in the big book, heaven knows. He does not need a bodyguard. Now look at this. Look at the revelations that are placed before you. Nor is he confined. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men go without disaster. Now this is a man that could travel. He could go anywhere. And everywhere he went, there was disaster. There was disaster. Where, what do we say often? No matter where I go, there I am. But look, at there's a provision here. Provided he remain willing. That's it. He must, rem- he must become willing and remain willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. Honey, this was a body and mind badly damaged. You think it could really handle complex? I could barely put one foot in front of the other. Did do they not say simple directions? That's what I needed. Step one, Paula. Okay. Step two. Step three. Certain simple. Attitude, and there was my attitude. Does it not say, oh, by the way, on 14, simple but not easy. Mm-hmm. A little clarification here. A price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of light who presides over us all. And then we continue. Isn't that the truth? And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Anne-Marie. Can I share? Uh, Let's see. I heard a number of people. I did hear Anne-Marie, and I did hear Katie, and I think there was one other person. Sheila. Sheila. Let's let's start with Anne-Marie, Katie, and Sheila, and then we'll pick up the others if we have time. Go ahead, Anne-Marie. Thank you. Thank you, Christy, for your service. I'm Anne-Marie, Recovered Compulsive Eater, and so grateful to be here. And this, um, you know, was it three sentences uh, here? Um, three such hope. Um, the paragraph before was um, a paragraph full of despair that I saw. Um, you know, this man, um, just why? You know, I mean, he was just like, why, why is this happening to me? And, um, you know, it brought me back to how self-centered I was when I thought, um, that you know, and how it works. Um, you know, it says that um, um, there are um, there are such and such. Um, there are um, those. Really, have to say it, those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely uh, give themselves this program. Usually, men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. You know, I was so very self-centered and self-absorbed and thought, oh, my God, I am just the the one in the million 
that's not going to get this program. I am the, I'm the one that they say, really, we have we have seen. You know, I just thought, yeah, I just could not do it. And then the sentence right here, he can go anywhere on this earth where other free men can go without disaster, provided he may, remains willing to maintain a simple, certain, a simple attitude. And for me, if I do not live in 10, 11, and 12, you know, after I've gone through the steps and been working on step nine, I had to dive into 10, 11, and 12, and I had to live in 10, 11, and 12. And, um, you know, somewhere it says we are not cocky or afraid. Well, you know, I did get cocky. I got cocky because I thought I had this program, and um, no, I didn't. You know, I, I thought maybe I don't need to do my prayer every morning. Um, you know, I didn't remain willing. And that really, that brought me back to the food. That, that brought me back to, I don't know how to handle life. Let me have something to eat. Let me go and get, you know, some ease and comfort. You know, and, and we talked about um, the only thing that we could remember, you know, a couple of days ago, the only thing that we could remember was the, was, what the food was doing for me. And, and, um, and here in this paragraph, this man st- is, uh, still lives and is a free man, and so am I. I am not that, that one in a million that can't get this program. Anybody, anybody can get this program if they're willing, you know. And, um, you know, the pa- couple of paragraphs before, you know, um, he talked about self-control. He wanted to regain self-control. I thought I could do this on my, by myself, but I, I need to remain willing. And part of that is turn my life over. You know, is to continuously, vigorously uh, live in 10, 11, 12. But it's not just living, it's living with knowing that God, God loves me enough. Um, and it just, it took me going through the steps to get to that point. You know, I, 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 um, I just can't, I can't say enough about this program and living in the, 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 um, the solution is um, is so much better, and, and I too can can be a, a free man. I had a party the other day. I'll just end with this, with lots of uh, uh, you know sweets and stuff around, and um, I just uh, you know not one thing fazed me, you know. But it, it, someone, one of my OA buddies, came over and reminded me, you know, don't get too cocky. <laughs> you know, sometimes after the party's over and we have that letdown feeling, we can always get into the food. So I have to be vigilant every day, and I thank you so much. I'll end with that. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Katie, go ahead. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, that previous, those previous two paragraphs, you know, I, I kind of wish that doctors would tell compulsive overeaters that because I, I don't think they do. Um, they're still trying to offer you know, these medical solutions. Um, but this is so, uh, such great news. This this man still lives and he's a free man. Um, and, you know, I, I thought that I would have to change my whole living situation, that I would have to quit my job. And, you know, my biggest fear was um, being a housewife with small children because that's what I had heard about for years um, in the rooms was, you know, these stories of 
of women because I was young when I came to OA. I had not been married yet and I didn't have children. And so I always was so afraid, you know, how could I ever, uh, ever do that? Well, you know, I worked um, 60 to 70 hours a week in the food industry when I got abstinent. And I walked in one day and after months and months and months of having eaten everything from the minute I got there till I left every day and then more when I got home, I uh, went back the next day in that same job and I did not do that. Uh, I was able to keep that job and I am a free person today. I didn't have to, you know, <laughs> ask, put tape over my mouth, um, bind my hands so that I would not uh, pick up the food. And <clears throat> it's nothing less than a miracle. And that's what happened to him. Um, he's a free man. And I'm a free woman because this little tiny sentence, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. And that attitude is humility, willingness, honesty, that even today when I am stuck in a situation that uh, I'm not sure where to go and what to do, I ask for help. I ask for help. I don't think I can do this on my own. I don't try to do this on my own. And that's the opposite of my mentality when I took this as a diet and I just thought I needed to lose some weight. I thought that once I you know, got a little bit better at all this, you know, I wouldn't have to weigh and measure anymore. I wouldn't have to call a sponsor anymore. I wouldn't have to go to meetings anymore. I wouldn't have to make phone calls. I wouldn't have to, you know, uh, do service that I would graduate. Just thank, um, thank God this is not a program where we graduate. You know, we're offering service every single day on this phone, which is a great thing for these newcomers, but I tell you what, it's saving my life. I don't do this. You know, I wish I could say that I was just this wonderful, humble, servant person, but I don't do it just for them. I do it for me because it's enriching my program. It's enriching my life because there's no graduation. It, it never ends. And, you know, that is... Um, it's just the opposite of most programs, of most ways of doing things. But it's not the opposite of the spiritual life. The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. And that means every day. We don't elevate to the point of being God. We need God. And that's what this program is about. That'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Sheila, go ahead. Good morning, Sheila, compulsive overeater. Um, I just wanted to to share on the last two paragraphs, particularly uh, on the part where you said she was utterly hopeless. You know, I have gone to doctors for years, and I remember the different pills and all the kind of stuff that they thought before I even knew I was a compulsive overeater. I knew I had issues with weight. And I even had a doctor um, suggest to me, she said, you know, you, you... probably would qualify with your height for this, some, some surgery, some kind of lap or some type of surgery. And um, her saying that to me gave me a feeling of, wow, she thinks I'm hopeless. 
you know, she thinks I'm hopeless that she's offering this service, this surgery. And um, as much as I had wanted a quick fix, thank God there's enough presence of a higher power in me to know that that would not be a quick fix. Uh, I know people who have had it, surgery, and are living well and going to program with it because it's not just about having surgery. You have to still do the work. And I know people of stories of people who have not survived such an operation. Um, And I've asked myself, have you gotten that bad yet? Have you gotten to the point where you just don't think that you have enough in you to do this, that you would take that? And that answer keeps coming back, no. Uh, I am doing what I need to do. And I heard someone share this today. My pride me, it definitely because I'm one of those who want to do everything by herself, don't want to need anybody. And this program is not an I program. It's no way I'm going to have peace around this unless I continue to reach out to people. And thank God there are people out there that despite myself, their love and their patience, and they keep talking to me and keep working with me. Um, the part that says this man lives, and it's a free man. He doesn't need bodyguards, not confined. What a freedom. I pray for that, where the food is not on your mind. You're not thinking about, am I weighing and measuring? Did I have enough this? Did I have enough that? Did I do? I, I look forward to the day where I could just get up every day. Maybe I won't have a day like that. Maybe every day I have to say, oh, you have, you're going to weigh and measure. You're going to make sure you have your protein, your carbs, and your veggies. Maybe that's what my life will be. I don't know. But I know that I don't want to do a cop out. That I know for sure. And um, I thank you for your service. Thank you, Sheila. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Meg. May I share? Sure, sure Meg. Go ahead. This is Amy. Oh, uh, Meg. I heard someone else, and then Amy. Marcella. Oh. Marcella. Okay, we'll have Meg, Marcella, and Amy. Thank you. Go ahead, Meg. Thank you, Christy. Hello, this is Meg, recovered compulsive overeater in Vermont. I'm just going to connect these the previous paragraph briefly with this one that we just read. He could never regain his position in society, and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. And then in this paragraph it says, he's free, he does not need a bodyguard, nor if he can find. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. And, oh, what a miracle, what a miracle. This, This is so true for me. I wanted to isolate myself. I wanted to go move out into the far reaches of Alaska where nobody could reach me. I wanted to lock myself in a cell or lock all the doors in the house so that I couldn't get in. But now I want to be amongst people. I want to be with others, and I'm free to go wherever I want to go as long as I remain willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. And the hopelessness that we have discussed 
in the previous paragraph certainly is overwhelming. And people look at this problem and they say, oh, goodness, I could never, ever solve this. But just a couple months ago, I was hired to clean out a, a barn, and, uh, and it was for sheep, and they bedded it with hay. And you find in these barns, they, they, just, they don't clean them out all year, and then all of this sediment collects, and it collects, and it collects, and you have this horrible pack of hay and manure that has just been compressed down. And there were three of us, and we had these little pitchforks, and it took a long, long time. And when we looked at it, we thought, this is going to take us all day. This is backbreaking labor. There's no way we're ever going to finish this. But here we had a willingness because we knew that if we didn't start, then we were never going to finish and these sheep would never have a clean barn. And we had a, and a simple attitude. We were willing to work together, and we were honest in that we knew that if we didn't start on it, we weren't going to finish, and we were going to work as hard as we could. We were willing to do anything in order to get this barn cleaned out. And you know what? Maybe it didn't all get done at once, but with each simple pitchfork load going into that tractor and that tractor taking that load of manure out into the compost pit, we got that barn cleaned out. So this is certainly possible as long as you maintain a willingness and a certain simple attitude. Thank you, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Meg. Marcella, go ahead. My name is Marcella. I'm a happy, joyous, and sweet recovered compulsive overeater in Boston, Massachusetts. This paragraph is about me. I'm still alive. I am a free woman. I have something much, much better and efficient than a bodyguard. I have a sponsor, and I have a fellowship, 600 powerful, big, um, hopeful fellowship that is sustaining me and that connection with my higher power, I can go anywhere on the earth where other people that don't suffer from these diseases can go. I can go to restaurants. I can go to parties. I can go to the supermarket. I can go to the table where people celebrate life cycles, and, and I don't suffer disaster. Now, provided that I maintain and I remain willing, I've been granted this willingness. I'm totally willing I'm completely ready. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And this is so much freedom and so much joy and so much hope. So if you're listening, wondering, is this going to work for me? I can emphatically assure you it will, as long as we maintain a certain simple attitude. With emphasis on the word simple, these things are not complicated, and they don't take forever. They're simple, and they're, it's just, it's a flow. It's natural. That a master engineer who created my body is also providing me with this um, solution, and I can live in the solution for the rest of my life. And what a joy, and how much hope. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Marcella. Amy, go ahead. Uh, good morning. My name is Amy. I am a compulsive overeater recovered from Maryland. Uh, Christy, do I have time? Is that okay? 
Yeah, you've got j just a few minutes. If you keep okay. it to three, that would be awesome. Thanks, Amy. Okay, we will do. Um, but this man still lives. He is a free man. Well, many of y'all have heard Leah say that freedom isn't free. And what is it that we have to do? Well, as many have said, we need to maintain a certain simple attitude. And, and we've heard people share about it. It's a how of the program, being honest, open, and willing. Honest about what, who, and who and what we are. Compulsive overeater, powerless, open, being willing to do whatever it takes. The person who last shared, tell me what to do. And then being willing to do it. Because the problem is, is this greater aspect of our disease, which is the mental obsession. We need to understand, and if you're out there on the line and you're new and you're still in the food, that our mind is not our best friend. If we read step one, it says that our minds are warped to this merciless obsession. It's warped when it comes to food. I mean, you heard people share about the last paragraph, about different things that they did to try to combat this disease, to try to be put into jail, to, to lock their cabinets. I wanted my jaw broken so that it'd be wired shut. Folks, these are not sane ideas, but these are the best thinking that I came up with because my mind wants, to, because of this obsession when it comes to food, I cannot, I cannot combat it. So my simple attitude is that whatever I'm thinking, my sponsor used to say to me, whatever I'm thinking is wrong, that I need to look to those who have recovered. I need to dig into the 12 steps and I need to look for something beyond me, i.e. a higher power to help me become recovered from this merciless disease. It says here, when we move into more about alcoholism, most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it's not surprising that our drinking or eating careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we can drink like other people. And then further down, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing, and many pursue it in the gates of insanity and death. I needed to understand that my thinking, my best thinking, got me dying of this disease. And my only way out was to humbly put my ego and my thoughts and my ideas aside. Remember, the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Read how it works. I have to be so desperate. And that's where I was when I came into the program to say, I don't care what you tell me to do. You all know the way. You all show me the way. And I'm going to believe in this program. If I don't believe in God, I'm going to believe in the 12 steps. But I'm going to do whatever is necessary so that I can recover from the disease. We call it the gift of desperation. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. And thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Marsha, are you available to read that for us, please? I am. Um, I'm Marcia, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overreader. Good morning. Our book is meant to be suggest suggestive only. We realize we only know a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>